welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host today, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my returning guest, Jared. How's it going? What's up, everyone? Yeah. Uh, today is going to be episode 185 of the Inking Out Loud podcast, and we are covering the second half of The Shadow of What Was Lost by James Islington, uh, first book in the Lycanius trilogy. You know, uh, I think this is going to be a pretty fun episode. Uh, there's some, it's definitely going to be some interesting perspectives and opinions on this one, I think. But before we jump into the actual discussion, I'm going to just go over the summary real quick. The second half of The Shadow of What Was Lost makes its meandering way to a conclusion that provides more questions than answers. Davian continues his training with Malshash and learns more about his powers as an augur. Weir, Caden, Terrace, and the rest encounter the blind before returning to Ilan Ilan. And Asha finds herself in a tangled web of loyalties amidst the Shadows, the North Warden, and the Augurs. With the clock ticking and the blind army advancing, Terris attempts to convince the Council at Tall Athian to return Caden's memories, but they refuse, and they confiscate the vessel tied to him. The two of them then move to the Royal Palace, where Caden strikes up an unlikely friendship with the Princess after saving her from blind insurgents. Weir steps into his new life as the son of the Duke, but is overjoyed to find Asha still alive. Davian, meanwhile, betrays Malshash's trust and discovers his deepest shame. Time runs out on his stability in the past, and Davian uses his auger powers to travel back to his own time. He makes for Ilan Ilan, meeting another auger named Ishel on the way. He refuses her offer to join her at Tall Shen, but promises to help them find a way to fix the boundary after he stops the blind army. In the capital, the king is deteriorating and ranting more and more against the gifted. Tall Athian refuses to help with the city, with the defense of the city as a result, but Tall Shen sends Gifted to act as healers. Davian returns just ahead of the invading army, and things spring into motion. Caden and Terrace sneak into Tall Athian, and Caden activates the vessel. It opens a portal, and he heads through despite Davian's misgivings. The blind attack, overwhelming the shields despite the help of shadows with vessels, and Weir, Asha, and the North Warden are forced to retreat. Echoes turn on them, and Weir's father is killed. As he's dying, he makes Weir promise to change the tenets. Asha, disturbed by what happened, heads to the palace. She reveals the truth there. Aaron has been controlling the Duke for years, forcing him to change his attitudes toward the gifted. Siner shows up and reveals himself as an augur as well, killing Cole and threatening Asha and the others. In Tall Athian, Weir changes the tenets with Davian's help, allowing the gifted to fight back against the blind but the enemy sneaks into the city and has them on the ropes. At the last minute, Caden reappears, bearing a powerful sword named Lycanius. He destroys the blind army, and the crew are left to pick up the pieces as he quickly leaves to continue his quest. Caden finds his way to the Keeper, hoping to regain his memories, starting with what happened just before he met Davian and Weir. He discovers that he did murder dozens of people in an attempt to flee his past, as Archean Devaid. So, a lot happened in the second half of this book, but I feel like it was really slow getting there. Uh, what was the word you used? Meandering? That's definitely accurate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, we, you know, we texted a little bit today. We've texted a little bit over the last few days after, you know, finishing the book, and I think we're both on the same page. This book was just kind of middling for both of us. Um... Yeah, um, yeah, average. <clears throat> like, 
I, I I gave it three stars on Goodreads, and I still am trying to wrap my head around why I have such a meh reaction to it. On a lot of levels, it's a competently written book. There are some fun things that happen. That he's got cool world-building ideas, but having it all come together in a complete story package just never really happened for me. Yeah, for me, when I say average, I'm thinking like... I really like the plot and like the backstory and a lot of the mystery around that. I think some of the execution with like the climactic uh, battle just felt very meh. Mm. Yeah. I don't know mm. how he does. I don't know how he does with action scenes personally. Uh, I agree there. Um, so... For it a scene as big rushed. as like the final battle, it's kind of like, oh, and it's over. That's it. <laughs> right. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, it reminds me of how I tend to write action scenes. Like, I don't think I'm very good at them. Uh, and part of that is just because I, I don't feel like I have a very good grasp on describing action scenes. You know, this is one of the things that I love about Matthew Stover, for instance. That guy knows fighting. He knows Mm -hmm. what it's like to be in that moment. And he does a really good job of describing it. And similarly, Robert Jordan, on a tactical level, he has a really strong grasp of what it's like to be in war. Because he was a veteran. And you see that confusion and and the fog of war kind of coming through in the way he describes his battles. And this book reads like somebody who read books like that, but has no direct experience. And that's the same mm-hmm. boat I fall in. But as a result, I feel like I tend to stay away from writing a lot of action scenes. Um, like I'm just thinking about the book I'm writing right now. And I, I don't, I, th- there's going to be like one sort of fight scene in the entire book, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So it feels like Islington ended up focusing on something that wasn't a strong suit for him in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It just kind of, it just kind of like, it's not that it was like a bad scene, just flat. Yeah. Like I didn't feel a whole lot of tension. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like the main characters were ever in any real peril. I, I was never worried that, you know, Asha was going to die or, or, you know, Weir was going to get horribly mutilated or anything like that. And part of that also is because we have the augers and their visions. So we know ahead of time, certain things are going to happen. And well, yeah, that's, and some th- that's a really messy thing to deal with as an author. Like, some things are just like blandly, obviously set up for the second book. Like when he meets up with the other augers from, uh, toll, toll Shen, toll Shen. It's yeah. like, Oh, okay. So that's the next book. Okay. Yeah. And that's part of why I feel like the plot in this, half of the book meandered because it felt Mm. like we were going to a specific conclusion, but Islington needed to take a bunch of detours on the way to set up the second book first. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think that was a smooth process. The other thing that really frustrated me with this book was he worked so hard at 
putting layers on top of layers on top of layers of subterfuge and and double crosses and political machinations that even when we got scenes where characters are giving us answers i didn't feel satisfied that those are the answers i feel like everything is just another lie like that each time somebody pops up and is like i'm so and so and and this is what's really going on i'm just like well i don't believe you <laughs> and <laughs> Well, and yeah. at a certain point, you know, like that's that's clearly what he's going for. He wants this to be a, a politically complicated story, but it's not satisfying to read. Like when I compare this to something like A Song of Ice and Fire, which is a notoriously politically complicated series, Martin finds ways to have the reader trust him, and then he subverts that trust. He he betrays that trust at certain points later down the line. In this book, I feel like I never trusted him from the get-go. Because, like, the opening kind of set piece of this story is Ilseth Tenvar sending Davian off on the quest and then immediately turning around and revealing that he was lying the whole time and that he's got ulterior motives. Yeah, I mean, so much of the book, the plot is based on obfuscating backstory. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, a lot of it is still up in the air, too, if you think about it. So it's hard to be satisfied if that's all you get. Yeah, exactly. Like, it... This this is a book that takes a lot of inspiration from classical heroic quest fantasy. Um, there are, you know... There's a whole segment of the book where we basically have a D&D party with, you know, uh, Aelric and Desia and Weir and Caden and Davian and Terrace, you know, like off and then going into a haunted city and, you know, and, and, and having adventures and fighting off shadow assassins and stuff like that. Um, we have a typical MacGuffin. We have this vessel that we need to reunite Caden with and and discover the secret. We have a, an invading army and a sparkling capital to protect. A lot of the tropes are here. And it ultimately feels like Islington was aware of the tropes and wanted to subvert a lot of the tropes, but he didn't quite know how to do it effectively. Um, and, and that makes me, makes me wonder, like, like maybe he was aware of the tropes, but he doesn't fully understand the tropes. I I don't know. Like, that's a, that's a really harsh thing to say. Um, and, and I, I don't want to like turn this into a, an attack on the author or anything, but that was the feeling that I walked away from the book was that it was, it was a book that wanted to do something literary and complex but ended up being shallow as a result. Mm, I mean, <clears throat> I still think a lot of the back plot is pretty complex. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, on a, on a meta level, like he's trying to write this book in conversation with books that came before it and, and wanted to have this book say certain things about other books, and I don't think he really succeeded in, in having... Because, like... You know, the fingerprints of the Wheel of Time are all over this. He is 
he is open with the inspiration down to the names and, and things. Um, he, the idea, you can look at Talcomar, you can look at Caden and the twist at the end that he was really Archean Deved the whole time. Um, you can look at this as a the next generation of, like, the next evolution in the trope of Luz Theron Telamon, the dragon who is both the hero and the villain. Like, you know, the, the one who doomed the world and is prophesied to save it. Like, you can look at this as, as a modern interpretation of that character trope. But I don't feel like he had anything substantial to say about that. And that's where it felt shallow. Like, he's aware of the trope, and he's playing off of it, but he didn't have anything really important to add to the conversation. Yeah, I don't know that I would expect <clears throat> too much of that to come from a series opener, though. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Like, I don't know, if we're comparing to Wheel of Time, is Eye of the World, like, saying a lot about other books? Um... I mean, I think there is a conversation going on there with Tolkien, uh, with the heroic quest fantasy, and the second half of The Eye of the World is a is a reasonable subversion of that, where he... That, but I don't want to get too much into real-time yeah, spoilers. Um, but but it's also, I, I feel like, comparing the first book of a 14-book series to the first book of a 3-book series is also tough to do, because... In a lot of ways, I feel like similar ground was tread in both of both this and the Eye of the World, but there's just so much more depth to the Wheel of Time than there was in this. Like I this, think this I, is a, I probably come sorry. away wanting to know more of what's coming than you do. I guess that's how I would describe it. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I mean, by far the most compelling plotline in this for me was the Shadows and the Shadrehan and Siner, who's apparently like an uber badass auger. Um, like those, those were the scenes with Asha that I, I was most into by the end of the book. Caden had some interesting stuff, but again, the the whole scene where he gets Lycanius was so much just like contextless jargon. That mm -hmm. very like, much okay, like the opening great. scene. <clears throat> yeah, like I can I can skate by that in the opening scene because that's what it's for. You know, it's serving that same purpose as the Dragon Mount prologue, where it throws a bunch of capitalized words and terms at you that it knows you won't understand. But it, Islington wants you to be teased by it, be intrigued by it, and wonder at this alien fantasy world. But then when you have all of that happen again 700 pages later and you still don't understand like 90% of the terminology and, and names being thrown around. You're just like, all right, what, what, what were the last 700 pages for then? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. because we still so, really know. <laughs> right. Like this is a 700 page book. It's a really big book. And I feel like it was trying to pack too much into too little space. Like, and that's where the shallowness comes from. This feels like something that should have been multiple books. Uh, this this feels like a series that should have been more than three books, and I'm only one book in. It did feel like they were traveling around really fast. Like, yeah. 
so much of like the first half of the book was them getting to uh Delanis mm-hmm. and 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 then like from Delanis back to the capital was like it was just like a couple chapters where suddenly it's just boom boom we're back mm-hmm. and then and then there's a lot of kind of like puttering around and maneuvering in the city before the battle happens and then the battle is like three chapters and then all right we're done you know uh so uh, that that ties back into that kind of meandering sense i had for the book i mean like i'm coming off as as really critical i i did give this three stars on goodreads on like i didn't hate the book but i feel like my overall sense of dissatisfaction is because i see a missed potential maybe that this could have been so much yeah. more than it was. <clears throat> I said two and a half, but I would say that about anything where I'd be willing to read the next one. Okay. Okay. Um, like I, I do think there's, there's a lot of enticing things in the plot that I want to find out, even if some of the payoff isn't quite there yet in this first one. Right. Right. I'm, I'm certainly curious to see where Davian goes. I feel like so much of his story in this book was pointed toward him being the one who's going to like figure it out and save them. But then he ended up not really doing anything and Caden just came in last second. Um, yeah, I mean, Weir does more than him. Yeah, like, Davian, Davian helped Weir change the tenets. That's the big thing he did in this book. And so having this, well, you know, 100-page uh, training montage in the past in Delanis still feels like a, an unfired Chekhov's gun, you know? I was going to say, he did have a pretty epic training montage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I was really into that. Like his whole mm-hmm. deal with Malshash, like that was very interesting to me. And I, I hope, I mean, obviously we're going to see him encounter Malshash, or at least I hope we're going to see him encounter Malshash again later because we had that, that signifier at the end of the book where he gets the ring from Asha. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think they go through that whole story of him finding his deep, dark secret and then never talk to him again. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's that's something, but I don't feel, mm, I don't feel as much direction with I don't feel equal direction with all the characters going forward. Like Caden has a really clear plot, um, Asha has a really clear plot. I have no idea where Torin's going. Yeah, I do think there. I think there was a good payoff with Asha. Yeah, yeah, she was easily my favorite part of this book. Mm-hmm. Like. Signer showing up and just wiping the floor with them was like, oh, oh, that that's creepy. There was, there was something, also sort of creepy about the real Shadrehan, uh, this this foreigner woman with a, a strange bearing who. You know, like why why is she a shadow behind a shadow? Um, yeah, I'm I'm surprised you like that because it's just more of like, obfuscation. Right, but that was, so, it wasn't presented as an answer. It was presented as an ongoing mystery. Mm. But when we get things that are ostensibly answers, 
but it's just clearly another you know film over the the real picture another you know muddying of the waters like like for instance when uh davian goes in and stabs ilseth tenvar and and reads him and we get the memory it was like it's set up to be a revelation scene but you read it you're like this is so obviously not what's actually happening here like i mm-hmm. i immediately wondered if the dude the the venerate who was like giving him the orders was caden was talcamar like oh, and i yeah. i feel like that was supposed to be a surprise um it's so when when the author repeatedly does this it loses impact more and more each time and the reader just starts like wondering all right well what's the twist what's the what's the real truth and and so you stop trusting the author to give you answers with asha it was never set up as this is the answer to the the shadrahan so that's why i was satisfied with it mm-hmm. yeah um uh, so I have a couple more just uh, style points. Do you have anything else? Uh, nothing in general. Okay. So with style, um, there was just a few points in the second half of this where I found myself a little frustrated with the pros. Uh, finding him reusing words over and over again. He loved the like saying like the blank itself. He really loves that construction. <laughs> the blank itself. What's an example? Like, like when he's describing the uh, the wall in Fedris Idri, the first shield, and he, he kept saying like the parapet itself, the the blades on the parapet itself would slice you, and the Man, stone itself never <laughs> was made by the builders to, and he kept using itself, itself, itself. Um, it, it, there was just, uh, yeah. It, it just it just kind of stuck in my craw. It it broke up the rhythm as I was reading through it, and it felt <sighs> when I was already struggling through this book in a lot of ways, where it felt like a slog. Uh, that just stood out as like another speed bump on the road. Like it I took do blame me a you. long damn time to read this book. I do blame you for all yeah. the times I noticed now in the second half of the book where people were like listening in on conversations. I'm serious. <laughs> that was my last style point is like it ends with Asha friggin' over, you know, overhearing another conversation. I'm like, that's that's like the only like, way he knows how to provide true answers to anything is by having people eavesdrop. <laughs> although to be fair, that was an interesting scene, but yeah, it was, it was, I was laughing. But I, it, <laughs> Same. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, Drew's gonna hate this. Uh, yeah, I I want more variety in his storytelling because it really feels this- like he's settled on a couple of different, uh, you know, story beats, and he's just gonna use them over and over again. <laughs> I enjoyed some. Uh, I don't know what you would call them. I guess like branches he went down where there was. <clears throat> I really enjoyed the story that David read in that book. Um, like, you know, the one that... Pointed, the Impossible Tasks. The Impossible Tasks, that one. 
I really oh, liked man. that. You really liked I that. I really liked that. So I was going to save this for miscellaneous points, but we can talk about it now. I I was driven nuts by that story. What? The, the utter lack of logic in the arguments in there <laughs> well, was so frustrating. It was like, you. it would have been so easy to pick apart uh, the bad guy's argument about like why he's not a true and loyal friend like immediately he could have just immediately been like no like clearly your your logic is faulty here yes he's a great friend I yeah win. but like <laughs> what is it considered like an allegory it's a yeah a fable like, whatever yeah a lot like fables are like that I'm not like taking it literally <clears throat> it was just very frustrating uh, I don't get it. Like, like, didn't I, it remind you? It reminded me a lot of um, the in Deathly Hallows, the um, oh, the tale the of the three brothers. Uh, sure. I mean, it's it's definitely got that um, like myth structure to it, where it's a, a story handed down. But part of the reason that I I didn't like it didn't land for me quite like that is that generally speaking there's an underlying moral or or lesson in a story and I didn't feel like there was a moral or a lesson to this tale of the impossible tasks the way there is in the tale of the three brothers hmm yeah the impossible tasks of a Alarae's Shar. I did catch um, uh, right before that. There's like a uh, there's like a written note in it, and that's where the title of the book comes from. Uh, in oh, fact, really? I, th- I think I, I think that. I think that's where the title of the second book comes from as well. So it's. Uh, Hail, King of Traitors, we who knew you mourn what was lost, only a shadow remains. So the shadow of what was lost. Um, A whisper where once a shout, a pond where once an ocean, a flickering candle where once the sun itself. Hail, King of Corruption, we who serve you despair for what is to come. And the next book is an echo of things to come. So a whisper where once a shout. (laughs) Yeah. And then what is the third book called? Dang it. The light of all that falls is that. Well, there's a reference to the fallen in this poem as well, but. But yeah, I I did notice that in in that little poem there. So I enjoyed that story. So that was like one okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> branch. Um, I guess you're kind of talking about his style. The other one was. Malshesh's memory. Yes. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, we'll talk about that in in favorite scenes at the end of this. Ah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's move on to characters here. Um, let's let's start with Davian. I feel like, despite everything, he's still supposed to be the main character here. Um, he's the one we know the best, probably either him or Asha. Um, mm-hmm. I liked his change. I liked the way he hardened throughout the book. There's definitely some echoes of Rand going on here. Uh, if uh, a little accelerated compared to the Wheel of Time. Yeah, but, I was going to say. 
like I liked how many uh, how many characters in the climax of the book underestimated him because they knew him when he was younger and they're like oh you don't have it in you you're not that kind of person and he's like yeah I, I am that kind of person now and I mean, he's it helps like, when I you... will just stab you in the leg or I will just murder you on the spot <laughs> like, yeah, it helps when you step outside of time and like get trained by some guy from 100 years ago yeah some creepy mass murdering dude yeah <laughs> yeah so I, I enjoyed Davian's uh, character arc in this book I wasn't sure I would halfway through um, he felt pretty generic uh, in the first half of the book, but he's I still much don't think there is a now. major payoff with him, unlike Asha. Yeah, it, like clearly he's working on a longer. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he's got a, a long-term game going on with Davian, which is a little frustrating. I wish there had been a more satisfying conclusion to his plot arc. In this, where so much of the story felt like it was setting him up to be the savior in the battle or to be the one who changes the tide, but ultimately everything he did in the battle was meaningless and Caden was the only one that mattered. Something tells me there's going to be a lot of um, time travel with him. Time hopping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got some, you know, he's got like the blinded. Uh, tattoo like carved into the side of his neck when he visited Asha future him visited Asha yeah I don't know but yes like I ended up liking him uh being at least vaguely interested are you okay here's a question are you at all interested in any of the romances that we've gotten set up here uh zero (laughs) yeah same I mean, that might be more to do with just my taste and plot, but... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like, I I do get invested in some romances in, in, mm-hmm. in some series. Uh, just none of these are really compelling. So we've got Weir and Desia. We've got Caden and Princess Caroline. And then we have a potential love triangle with Davian and Ashel and Asha. Eh... And eh. like that was that was one that I was really dotted to. Like when Ishel shows up after the battle and she gets annoyed when Davian and Asha hug and, and I'm just like, Oh, please don't do this. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was really awkward. Especially having only talked to him once. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, she she's like <clears throat> like you know, coughing when they're hugging. It's like, dude, there. This is like his lifelong best friend here. Like, let him, let the dude have a moment in peace. You've talked to him once. Yeah, for what it's <laughs> worth, I don't think there is going to be some triangle thing there. But I don't oh, know. I hope not. <clears throat> Weir and Desia, eh. and then meanwhile, poor Aelric. We're like, <laughs> everybody's falling in love around him, and he just. <laughs> isn't into it at all <laughs> he's got a giant crush on the princess and and he's just well, getting left out to dry and his sister is like, it doesn't you know. help that she's into like a mass murderer so yeah right yeah that'll be that'll be rough for uh <laughs> if he shows up again yeah Whew. uh but so so Caden let's talk about the twist that he's he is Archean Devada. Uh How do you pronounce that, by the way? Archean? That's what I say. 
arcane. Okay. Um, but yeah, just, like, uh, so I think there's some sort of official uh, pronunciation guide out there, but I've never looked it up for him. Oh, really? Hmm. Um, Interesting. Is there a extras? Oh, I think I found one last time on his website. Now I have to see this. Yeah, so oh, it yeah, is you pronounced Delanus. It's Arkine Devade. Arkine. Okay. Arkine yeah. Devade. All right. It's going to take some getting used to getting my pronunciation out of my head. Um, I guess I've been totally saying it wrong. Eric and David. <laughs> David. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so uh, he is. He's you totally the bad knew guy, but... a further twist was coming with him. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did like the way he set it up in the prologue to where you think that this shadowy master that he's talking to is Arkine. Arkine. Wait, crap. How is. Arkine. Arkine. Devade? Arkine Devade. Devade. Okay. Arkine Devade. Um, so, yeah, you think that the shadowy, you know, cackling, evil, mustache twirling dude is. Is Arkine Devade, and then Talcamar is, you know, because yep. it's you go into that. This is one of those, one of those places where I think he did stick the landing on being in conversation with what has come before, um, where he knows that a lot of people who pick up this book will have read the Wheel of Time already, and when you start reading this prologue, you are going to feel the similarities immediately with the Dragon Mount prologue. And so he plays on your expectation there that you think this is a lose Theron Telamon and Ishamael situation. And and he sets up throughout the book that this Archine Devade guy is the big bad, and you're like, okay, he's the one, he's the bad guy he was Talcomar was talking to in the prologue, and then he subverts that expectation in the end. I do think he managed to stick that. That was a good a good twist. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I still feel like I'm unsure of who I should be rooting for after all of this. Yeah. <laughs> of Like, our main characters, uh, like Weir, Torin, Asha, and, and Davian, like, I feel safe rooting for them, but everybody else, I'm, everything's just been hidden under so many layers, and it, it's mm-hmm. like... Like even though Caden is trying to be a good person, you wonder like, okay, well he's got this horrible past, and how much are his memories going to be kept away from him and allow him to actually be a new person going forward? And then like Terrace, clearly he's got all kinds of other secrets going on. I did really enjoy how he revealed how he revealed that where it was like him steadily removing his own memory like as the scene progressed Mm -hmm. yeah that was that was an interesting flashback Mm -hmm. yeah um i did not like the way terrace was handled where davian like that was another scene that was it, it was just way too fast um there was a lot of something big happens and then the character's like 
but I don't have time to think about that right now. And they <laughs> shake their head and they move on. And and it feels like, as an author, he didn't know how to really explore the consequences of his character's betrayals. And so he's just like, uh, I'm going to put it out there and then we're going to go over here. And... Mm. You know, so that was a little unsatisfying. Like, Davian shows up at the palace and he runs into Terrace and he's just like, yeah, I'm going to ask you two questions and you lied after both of them, so <laughs> screw you, I'm walking away. And then it's just not explored again. And, like, it, that felt like a scene that n- deserved more attention. Yeah, maybe it's a little him kind of relying too much on wanting to leave you hanging. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's... As I'm talking myself through this, that's one of the frustrating things about this book is how much the book felt like a slog, how slow moving it was. But at the same time, when you got to the important scenes, how fast they went by. So Mm. it feels like there was a lot of filler in this book. Yeah, it's kind of like... On the one hand, it did not need to be 700 pages long. But on the other hand, it kind of needed to be two books, not one. (laughs) I feel like and if it's going to be a setup book, though, it should be shorter. Yeah, like I, I'll see if I still feel like this after the second book. Um, but I'm beginning to strongly wonder whether this would have been served better as like a five or six book series, not a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like and lean really hard into it being a series you know this this is something unlike the eye of the world where uh or for instance mistborn the final empire you know the the traditional first book in a fantasy series where you could just read that first book and end you could have a complete story yes there are things set up in those books that will lead on into the rest of the series, but they come to a satisfying conclusion. This book very much does not. Uh, Uh, This is a serialized, this is more like uh, a Game of Thrones. You know, a a book that is very clearly telling you this is the start of a bigger story. Yep, for sure. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not like, I'm not on serialized, uh, you know, storytelling. That's what All Flames cast is. You know, like, (laughs) That book very clearly tells you this is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but but because of that, I feel like um, maybe the, the structure of this book could have served that serialized storytelling style better if it had been split into multiple books. Yeah, just give some more time for certain things. <clears throat> yeah. I yeah. mean... Even his training, like, those training scenes, it does kind of feel fast when you take it into account with the rest of the book, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Huh. Yeah, like, even when we're in the character conversation, we end up going back to (laughs) style and narrative structure. Uh, But I think that's uh, telling about this, where there's so much more to talk about for good and and for bad around the way the story was told than the actual content of the story. At least where I'm concerned. I just wasn't that invested in so much of it. You know? I, I think uh, for me it's that I was invested in maybe characters that he didn't intend to be the main investment like Asha. 
Brashada. She was oh, yeah. like the the, <laughs> oh, yeah. the hunter happened. mercenary girl. Like I totally thought she was going to show up again in the second half of this book. She, I think she, she was like one of the most you know just there and gone. Yeah, she better because <laughs> she was one of the most interesting parts of the first half. Um. So yeah, I I definitely felt that way. Where other than Asha, most of the people I was the most interested in were side characters. How do you feel about Weir? Because <clears throat> I um, think you could make the case that he's like partly a main character. Oh, totally. Um, I feel like Weir is vanilla frosting. He is <laughs> nice. okay (laughs) like there's just there's nothing really like all that compelling about him he's a good dude and Mm -hmm. that's there that's like all there is to him like there there could have been uh some real potential for complications like divided loyalties but he that was you know that wasn't that didn't play out by the end of this book he did the right thing and changed the tenets in a responsible way and you're like okay yep he he was a good dude all right and and that's where we're left so there's nothing really interesting about him like one of the problems with him was there's supposed to be this tension when he goes home that nobody knows where he was but then it's all revealed like super fast right yeah there's no time for him to be like hiding or lying around court you know yeah and that could have been a a good storyline for him in the early going in book two of you know Mm -hmm. like how do i go about my life now uh where i'm living this lie but i don't know yeah he's he's a he's a good dude but he's not an interesting dude to me (laughs) vanilla frosting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, Vanilla Frosting's good. It's nice. Uh, it's no chocolate, though. <clears throat> you, you would. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see, other other characters. Asha. Um, yeah, I like Asha. She's She's got lots of potential. I'd say she's um, my favorite, if I had to pick. <clears throat> of the main characters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, she has the most potential in terms of uh, exploring the magic system uh, as a shadow, but as somebody who's who's like already started discovering previously unknown or only suspected secrets about the mm-hmm. magic, uh, she has the this mark from Archine Devade, where like oh that's right they have <laughs> to leave her alone. Um, you know what what's up with that? That's a good mystery. Like she has satisfying ongoing mysteries I'll say that yep yeah yeah I don't know um do you have any other characters you're feeling a burning need to talk about um nope okay uh and then do you have any miscellaneous points because honestly we ended up already talking about all of mine (laughs) (laughs) uh nothing that I haven't already brought up okay okay yeah, so let's go into three favorite scenes then. Um, oh boy, I got it. Uh, I do you want to go first? Okay, I'll, I'll uh, go first you then. Go first. 
so my third favorite was uh, Davian and and Weir changing the tenets. Uh, but really that whole scene, like Ionis barging in and like that was the one moment in the whole story when I felt real like tension around the main characters where I, I thought something bad is going to happen. That was the only time that that really landed for me. And it ended up being a good scene and it ended up like the way Davian like melted the dude was just like, oh dang. <laughs> okay, that escalated. Yeah. Yeah. Don't but, but don't you feel like they could have like, ah oh, man, it's such a good opportunity. They could have thought about their wording a bit more, but so, I guess they well, were pressed. Yeah, like it's on the one hand, um it went well. It it went smoothly, as far as we know in this book. Maybe there was some secret thing that they messed up on and we don't know it yet, and that's gonna be a big, you know probably come back to bite them in a later book. But uh but even though it went well the entire way, there were there was a good sense of tension. Whether it was Ionis showing up and invoking the fourth tenet and like being on the verge of royally screwing everybody by making the gifted like kill all kill themselves or the bond of trust the the necessary bond of trust between Weir and Davian where he's like you have to say what I'm asking you to say and and there's this underlying question will he or won't he and there are three tenets that he goes through so like each time that tension ramps up again and again, you're like, is he going to do it this time? Is he going to do it this time? Is he going to, you know, like, and so I liked the way that scene played out, even if Islington may have taken the easy way out by not having something bad happen during it. <laughs> yeah. It's like one thing I'm curious about, um, that I wasn't quite clear on, like, so he can't do it again. Like, is it that yes. you can only do it once? Like, I think that's the case. And then the only time it could happen again is from... After the king dies and whoever gets like that side of it from the king could do it again. I think that's how it works. That is my understanding. <clears throat> they can't yeah. just like have a board meeting next week and like change the tenets. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> a board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was a good... Get a Zoom call real quick. <laughs> Vote, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, okay, I guess if I had... So thinking on the spot, if I had to pick a number three, it probably would have been what we already talked about with the impossible tasks scene. Okay, all right. Nice. Okay. Um, yep, that would be my number three. So my number two then was uh, Brashada when she shows up and, like, murks the two hunters and she's all, like upset with them for making her her do that and and being snarky and stuff like i just i enjoyed her brief moment on the page and i want more of her ah that made me think of like an honorable mention maybe is that card scene oh really yeah early yeah, on? yeah gesh or whatever it was called yeah i can't quite remember <clears throat> yeah but okay. we're basically plays them all yep yep um that's probably an honorable mention, though. Number two, um, probably in the training sequence, 
when he shows up, uh, well, I guess him in the future shows up in Asha's room. Ooh. Where he's like in chains and in shadows. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming that's future. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, okay. Well, my favorite scene was Malshasha's memory of the wedding night. That was just so crazy and messed up. And See, that's, that's interesting to me. I was me like, that man, I want Malshash to be the main character. <laughs> like, he did a really good job with like a poignant scene like that but then struggled with the big battle. So yeah. maybe he's going to be better with like the more, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, the more personal, personal battles. Intimate moments. Yeah. yeah. I hope so. Cause those tend to be like, as, as I've grown as a reader, as I've gotten older and uh, my tastes have changed, that's what I end up gravitating toward to more and more. Like I still don't get me wrong. I'm still way down with a well-executed battle scene or fight scene, but yeah. uh, but I find I am most I, I most crave those character moments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well, what was your favorite then? Uh, that was it. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I I kind of had a feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder how many people uh, would agree with us uh, if if you're you know. If you're listening to this, let us know, you know, jump in on Facebook or, or Discord or whatever and let us know what your favorite scene in this book was if it was indeed this uh, Malshash wedding scene. I mean, there's got to be more of him coming. You can't do that and then just. End. Right. Right. Oh, OK. Uh, well, let's uh, let's move on to the final draft. What are you drinking over there, Jared? Oh, yeah, I have a weird one today. Well, actually, I don't know if it's weird. It's kind of talking to you uh, beforehand to see if you'd heard of something like this. But So it is from the Phoenix Beer Company. Okay. And it's called the Sonoran White Chocolate Ale. Sonoran White Chocolate Ale. So it's Ale. like a light ale except smooth and chocolatey like you might get in a stout it's really weird um so this is a wheat beer apparently yes but brewed with white chocolate yep weird and it's really damn good interesting it's just like i i have never come across that before where it's like a lighter ale except chocolatey yeah and white chocolate huh. <laughs> it's so good like if you're ever if you get the chance i definitely recommend it yeah i'm i'm gonna have to check this out you know when the next time lauren and i are down there visiting you guys or something um, yep interesting it's it's just it's That's... so hard to explain because it's like super smooth except it's not stouty so this is interesting. There is also a Sonoran Brewing Company microbrewery in Phoenix, Arizona, and they have a whole line of wheat beer, American pale wheats made with white chocolate. They have peppermint white chocolate, white chocolate with blackberries, 
white chocolate with raspberries and oak. Really? Uh, you should check that out. They have a barrel-aged one, bourbon oak-aged cherry white chocolate ale. Huh. Yep. Candy cane white chocolate from Sonoran Brewing Company. Wait, how is that any different from the peppermint white chocolate? Huh. Okay. Well, anyway. Yeah, that is fascinating. I have never heard of that kind of a beer before. Yeah. Sonoran uh, white chocolate ale. Huh. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, I uh, I have been just drinking some water. I Honestly, I've been slacking with water over the weekend, and I ended up feeling kind of dehydrated. So I've been... Uh, I've been guzzling the the good stuff today, um, but I do have a beer to talk about. Uh, this is a beer I have had before um, from Russian River Brewing Company. This is uh, an Imperial Porter, uh, 9.8% ABV. I remember this one being um, like really uh, like bitter and dry. Uh, I wanted it to be a little thicker and sweeter. Um, really, I want it to be a stout, not a not a porter, but mm-hmm. uh, but it was still it was still like okay if I remember correctly. It just wasn't my favorite thing. Um, but this one is called Shadow of a Doubt for a whole lot of reasons that I've already gone over in this episode because I feel like That's I fair. doubt everything in this book, but also shadows. You know, there are so many references to shadows, shadow in the title, shadows as, you know, the, uh, the, the gifted who've had their ability taken away, um, people working in the shadows, just very thematically appropriate for this book. So, Good choice. On theme, per usual. Yeah, yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, this has been episode 185 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we're going to be heading on into the next book. Uh, We're going to be reading the first half of An Echo of Things to Come. And I actually just realized I never looked up um, what chapter we'll end that at. So I'll, I don't know, I'll like post that on Discord or something when I figure it out. Uh, (laughs) And I'll let Jared know so he knows where to stop. (laughs) I mean, it helps that I haven't started it, so, you know. Yeah, I yeah we were considering trying to read and, and record that episode immediately after this, but once Jared said it wasn't going to happen, I was like, yep, I'm not going to bother starting either. <laughs> yep. Because, I mean, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't like, chomping at the bit to, to read on. I am going to finish reading this series for these episodes. Yep. I hope I end up liking it more, um, but it, this predict, was not a situation, yeah. I predict you will like it more. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's always the strong possibility that he learned lessons, learned valuable lessons in the writing of the first book, and he will apply those lessons in later books. So, uh, if you want to find out early what I think, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, where, uh, yeah, you can get early access to episodes as well as a whole bunch of bonus content. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what the landscape of that is going to look like now that it is all on my shoulders and, and not Rob uh, as well. Uh, trying to see how much I can handle. Uh, I'm likely going to be doing some preview chapters of, of a, the first draft of the novel that I'm working on because I, since it's taken up so much of my time, I'm, I haven't been working on a whole lot of short stories for that, but I am uh, eight chapters into a new novel, which has been 
uh, going swimmingly. I've been having a lot of fun and I'm really excited about it. So I'll probably be posting a couple of those chapters in the coming months and then uh, hopefully get back to some short stories. But yeah, so if you want to support the podcast, you can you can find us there or you can make a one-time donation on Coffee. That's ko-fi.com. Uh, that support means a great deal to me. Uh, it's how I keep this thing going. It allows me to pay for you know our recording software, editing software, podcast hosting, everything. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my special guest, the uh, eminent Jared Livingston. Awesome. Much better. Much better. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you guys.